Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are uh, going to continue uh, with our series on the parable of the lost son. We, we know it as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, the series has been entitled Extravagant Love, and we've been, we're a month in now. Uh, what we're going to do today is I want to read to you the text that we're going to be in, and then we'll come back and kind of swim around in it a, a little bit later. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 again, and we will be looking at verses 14 through 17. Luke 15, verses 14 through 17, it says this, and when he, the rich, uh, the rich young man who who got his father's inheritance, when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He went out and he hired himself to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I don't think there's a person in here that does not have a location that's near and dear to them. A place that you remember. Now, sometimes these locations are, are, are remembered because they're a place where we came in contact with joy. So when you think about it, maybe it's where you got your first kiss and you remember that bridge or that car or wherever you were when you kissed your significant other for the first time. And you'll never forget that location. Uh, for others of you, it might be where you proposed to somebody or where your wedding venue was, the church, or, or, or the place that you got married. Or perhaps it's the church you were baptized in, and, you, and you'll always remember that location. For a lot of you, it, it may be the hospital where your first child was born, and, and you'll never forget. For us, it's Cobb Hospital. Every time I go by Cobb Hospital, I remember Reagan being born. We also have locations that remind us of sorrowful things too, don't we? Like where you were when you heard the bad news for the very first time. So those of us in here old enough to remember 9-11, you probably remember exactly what you were doing, exactly where you were when you heard the news that we were being attacked on our own soil. For, for some of you, maybe it's the location of a doctor's office where you sat in, the test results came back, and you sat across the, the desk and that doctor said, listen, the news isn't good. You'll forever remember the smell, the sight, the sound of that location. For some of you, it's a funeral home where you said goodbye to a loved one. And if you ever have to go back in there, just conjures up these terrible, terrible memories of loss or when you drive by. For some of you, it's a hospital where maybe you watched one of your loved ones suffer. You see, we all have locations, both good and bad, that we remember well. We have places that we dislike and places that we really, really like. 
One of my favorite locations on planet Earth is in a little town called Woodstock, Virginia. It's right in the Shenandoah Valley where I grew up in. And my, the location is the Woodstock Fire Tower. And so what you have to do is you have to drive up this mountain. I mean, it's windy and curvy, and you get to the top of the mountain. You've got to get out of your car. You have to hike up further, uh, up another mountain a little bit further, and then you get to the base of this tower, and then you have to climb these stairs and go all the way up to the top of the tower. And the view from the Woodstock Fire Tower is spectacular. Pictures, uh, they don't really do it justice. Because when you can see a panoramic, panoramic view from the tower, you can see the Shenandoah River bending and twisting seven times going through the valley. You can see all seven bends. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place. I spent a lot of time there in high school. I spent a lot of time there in, in college. I spent a lot of time there through my mid-20s. Uh, for me, it's just one of those locations that I absolutely love. My point is this, we all have locations that hold a significant, I mean a significant amount of love or hate in our lives. You know, one place that's not on my list of great or worse locations, and it's probably not on yours, in fact, it's probably not on anyone's list of remarkable locations, is a pig pen. I mean a literal pen where you have pigs fenced in, where they're wallowing in their own feces in mud and they're, they're, they're snorting and they're fighting for food. None of us really remember a literal pig pen. Well, in the story of the prodigal son here, this is where we find the young man in this text. He's standing in a pig pen. Okay, so let me just review in case you haven't been here for a minute. We have a young man who has a wealthy father and he wants his inheritance. He wants his money. So he goes to his dad and says, give me my money, essentially saying, listen, you're better off to me dead. If you would just go ahead and die, I'd get my money. I could do what I want. So just why don't you give it to me now? His father grants him the request. He packs it up. He goes off to a distant country and he begins to burn through his money and he ends up utterly broke. Famine hits in the area. Food is scarce. And now not only is he broke, but he is starving to death. And so the only job that he can find is to rent himself out as a servant to feed pigs. And so by the time we're in this, this story, he knows his way around the pig pen pretty well. He knew the location well. Day after day, he went to feed these pigs. And day after day, he was getting hungrier and hungrier as, as his body was consuming itself. And he hits absolute rock bottom while he sits there and he's watching the pig and he's daydreaming about taking the food out of the pig's mouth and eating it for himself. He's all alone in this foreign land and now he is literally starving to death. But it was this location, this pig pen, that this young man learned some things about himself. It's often been said that true grace leads to true repentance. 
And what that means is when we begin to sit down and count the cost of grace, when we realize the price that God paid to shower us with grace, when we realize what he rescued us from, when we realize the goodness of God to shower that grace on us, that this will lead to absolute true repentance. This will lead to a repentance that fear can't lead to. This will lead to true change when we realize how good God is. And so this is where we left you last week, right? The son comes to his senses. And remember, we said last week, when he came to his senses, he didn't focus on his badness. He didn't say, I've done X, Y, Z, and this is why I'm here. He immediately focused on his father's goodness. And the only way you're going to make any traction in your spiritual life is to stop focusing on how bad you are and start focusing on how good God the Father is. It's this Romans 2-4 repentance that we talked about last week that says the riches and the kindness and the forbearance and the patience and the goodness of God is meant to lead us to true repentance. And so for the young man... The pig pen is where he finds himself, but it's this location of a great awakening for him because it's in this pig pen that he will ultimately decide to go back to his father. Now, before that decision is made, I believe the text shares with us four things the young man had to realize about himself, and I want to walk through those four things with you this morning. Number one, the first thing that he realized is that he was helpless. You ever been helpless? I mean, utterly helpless. Well, he was there, verse 14. And when he had spent everything, no more resources, he's broke. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He was desperate, he was broken, he was in need. And here's what we said last week, and I promise you, I'm not just going to regurgitate last week's message. Last week we said that phrase, he began to be in need, that shouldn't be a phrase that scares us. That should be a phrase that we embrace because this is both a sad and a glorious moment. When we are in deep need, when we are absolutely desperate, when we are helpless, It shows us just how frail we are, just how lost we would be apart from God the Father. And we said this, God loves you enough to let you be in need. God loved me enough to let me be helpless. You know, it's in those times of life when we are helpless, we feel very far from God, don't we? You ever been there? helpless, and and, and what we tend to do is blame God. Where are you? Why aren't you here? Why have you given up on me? Is this my punishment? Am I going to have to do this thing all by myself, all alone? Friends, that's a lie from the devil. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's when we're crushed. It's when our hearts are broken. It's when our lives are shattered into a million pieces. It's during those times that God will actually draw nearer to you. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so it was in this pig pen, it was in this hopelessness and despair, it was this sense of helplessness that forced the young man to realize this, I'm in trouble. 
this ain't working. The way I'm doing things didn't work. I need help. The second thing that he had to learn about himself in the pig pen is, is that he was humiliated. So not only was he helpless, he was humiliated. Look at verse 15. So he went out and he hired himself out. He, he sold himself into bondage to one of the citizens of that country. And the guy said, oh, have I got a job for you? I want you to go out into the field and feed my pigs. Okay, now this was bad. And this is one of those things as Americans that gets lost in translation. All right? Because you have Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, teaching a Jewish audience of sinners and tax collectors and religious leaders about a Jewish young man who leaves his father and ends up feeding pigs. And what we have a tendency to do is to misdiagnose this verse. This verse is not about a rich, spoiled kid who has no calluses on his hand. He's finally going to have to work for his food. He's finally going to have to make a living. Because there's nothing wrong with working hard. No one is better or worse because they work on a farm or work in a city. The issue of humiliation is what we lose in translation. The issue is this is a young Jewish man and the animals he was taking care of were pigs. Pigs were unclean animals that Jewish people did not eat. They did not raise. They did not touch. Many of them would look the other way. They wouldn't even look at a swine. They followed the Old Testament dietary laws, which meant they couldn't have bacon. I mean, that's, that's harsh, right? Very harsh. But they did this to honor God. And they were extremely serious about this. In fact, according to the Jews of Jesus' time, pigs were the absolute worst animals that God ever created. Now, I can think of some worse ones, like gnats and mosquitoes and chiggers and ticks, right? These were the absolute worst animals. In fact, many Jewish people, this goes all the way back to the Talmud, and it even happens today, will not use the word pig, hog, or swine. They use the term, quote-unquote, another thing. Because they don't, want to, they don't even want to acknowledge its proper name. During the time of Jesus, there was a prohibition against raising pigs. It was illegal. If you were Jewish, you could not own a pig. You could not eat a pig. You could not touch a pig. Whether you were a Jew living in Jerusalem or Israel, or you had moved to a foreign country and lived in a Jewish community, you were not permitted to be around pigs. They were these unclean, filthy, dirty, disgusting animals. In fact, the Syrian Greek emperor Antichus IV, as a part of his campaign to suppress and outlaw Judaism, sent his soldiers into the Jewish land armed with pigs. And when he got there, they sacrificed the pigs and he made the Jewish people consume the meat. However, they protested and they chose to die rather than to eat the meat. Okay, so again, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, and they understand the weight of this. They get how deplorable this was on a spiritual and a social level. It was the most extreme, humiliating illustration that, we could have, that, that he could have ever used. But it also has a deeper meaning. It's a picture of what sin does to us. 
Sin is unclean. Sin is impure. We're instructed to run from sin, to flee from sin, to avoid sin. Certainly not to feed sin. It was George Bernard Shaw that said, Never wrestle with pigs. You both get dirty and the pigs like it. This was the young man. Here's a picture of how I believe he found himself here. Just utterly humiliated. Just covered in dirt and manure, both on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level with his sin. Absolute, ultimate humiliation. The third thing that he learned about himself, and this is the obvious one, right? He was hungry. He was starving to death. Look at verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. See, this is a new experience for the young man. I would say this is prob- would probably be a new experience for many of you. You've never had to go a day or two or three or six or eight without food. This man grew up in a wealthy household. He grew up in his father's house. He never went without food. He probably had choice food. Now, Dr. Luke, in his gospel, tells us that he's staring at these pods and his mouth is salivating. He just wants to go out and rip a pod out of the pig's mouth and eat it. Just some trivial information that doesn't have a lot to do with the text. Most scholars believe the pods referred to are are these kind of nasty, bitter-tasting pods from the carob tree. They were used to fatten up swine in Israel. They're very bitter, and they're really not made for human consumption. Unless you were just utterly, utterly desperate, You you would stay away from these pods. But you know what? When you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. You'll eat anything. This guy was hungry. So look at the verse again. It says, He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Now don't miss this. And no one gave him anything. See, the text seems to indicate that he had asked somebody, Hey, you mind if I take a couple of these pods? I'm feeding these pigs. Can can I take some of these home? I'm, I'm starving. And the text says, no, 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 no. Those are for the pigs. Those aren't for you. You get nothing. So I want to ask you to think about something for a second. And think about your great spirit, the great spiritual hunger that we all have. What if he would have been permitted to have that pig food? What if he, they would have said, sure, you can have the pods. Go ahead, eat, eat all you want. Guess where he would probably still be? In the pig pen. What if someone said, you know, I know you're starving. I don't have much. Here's some bread. This will get you by till tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow we'll scrounge you something up. And it would go on and on and on. And he would still be in the pig pen. Where would you be? Where would I be if God did not put a safety mechanism in our souls to make us hunger? Where would we be? If God didn't allow our spirits to hunger and thirst, 
You see, this looks harsh. God's allowing this young man to be helpless, to be humiliated, and to be hungry for a reason. Because in the pigsty, he discovers that not only has he run out of food, but he has also run out on his father who is good. And because he felt hunger physically, I think he also felt hunger spiritually. His belly had no food, but his soul was broken and empty as well. This teaches us a very valuable lesson. And the lesson is simply this. My sin, your sin, our sin does not provide ultimate satisfaction. Now, it lies to us, right? You do this, you're going to feel good. It promises to, to, to fill you, to fill that void, to fill that hunger, to take away the hunger that your souls have. But you know by experience, just like me, sin provides no ultimate satisfaction. Now, I didn't say it offers no satisfaction. I said it offers no ultimate satisfaction. There's an immediate gratification with sin. But there is ultimate satisfaction only through God the Father. This is what Jesus was getting to when he says over in the, the gospel of John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jesus often would use our natural hunger as a metaphor to illustrate a hunger that is much deeper the great author Max Lucado puts it well when he says this, quote, What bread is to hunger, Jesus claims to be for the soul. End of quote. So, so think about that for a minute. You can travel to almost any country on the face of the earth, and if you sit down in any restaurant in any country, they are probably going to serve you bread. Bread is a worldwide staple. If the poor have nothing, they have bread. If the rich have everything, they still have bread. Bread's not a regional food or a national dish. No country claims to be the exclusive source of bread. And it can be in the form of a tortilla in Mexico or a bagel in New York City, but bread is available everywhere. And friends, so is Jesus Christ. He is not bound by our boundaries. No country can claim him. No region owns him. No nation has a monopoly on him. He is everywhere at the same time. He is universally available and he is good. Jesus meets our hunger and our thirst in the fullest sense. He satisfies the deepest yearnings in our souls. Listen, this young man was hungry. And he came to the realization that the only person that was going to be able to help him was his father. So he's helpless. He's humiliated. He's hungry. Which leads to the beautiful point number four. He was homesick. He was homesick. Verse 17, we looked at this last week. But he said to himself, why don't I just go home? How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? We've been focusing in on that phrase, but when he came to himself, this suggested that for a season he had not been himself. We've all been there, right, in relationships. 
hey, you're not being yourself, or you're not the man I married, or you're not the woman that I got engaged to. You're, you're not acting like yourself. He came to his senses. Warren Wearsby says this, quote, there is an insanity involved in sin that seems to paralyze the image of God within us and liberate the animal inside of us. And this is, what, is exactly what happened to this young man. He sat in a pig pen, dreaming about eating rotten pods, and his mind drifts back home, back to his father's house, maybe back to the day he decided to walk out on his father. Goodbye, dad. I got my money. I'm out of here. I'm done with you. You will never see my face again. I am sick of this place. You see, what happened is he was sick of home, and now he's homesick. He was sick of home. Just give me my money. Just let me go. Just let me do things my way. I want out of here. I am sick of this place. Now he's homesick. I just want to be home with the Father. He is good. You ever been homesick before? Yeah. Now listen, I'm not talking about your week at the beach and you're just, because you got a queen size and you're used to a king and you, you, you want your bed back. I mean homesick, like far from home and no way to get back home, no resources, no one to come pick you. Have you ever been that homesick before? Anybody? It is the worst. When I was uh, in youth ministry, student ministry here, we, we took a mission trip to Ecuador and my beautiful wife, Lindy, we had our first child, Reagan. Reagan was about a year old, if that. And she, Lindy was pregnant with uh, Jay, our, our firstborn son. And so I went on this trip, and I had gotten the flu be right before the trip. It was just miserable. Um, uh, I, it was an awful, awful trip for me. I want to show you a picture, though. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, so one of the things about the Ecuador is I'm tall here in America, like I'm a, you know, people stare at me a little bit, but there I'm a giant and I'm white. Okay. And so I stuck out like a sore thumb. So people on the streets just wanted to come. They thought me, I was a, a professional basketball player. So they just wanted pictures with me. And, you know, they always wanted me to put my hands on their heads. So you can see in the picture, I'm smiling, but inside I'm dying. I didn't like the food. I couldn't speak the language. The conditions that we were in were just you wouldn't even believe, and I missed home. I just wanted to go home. Every day I got up and thought, how can I get out of this? How can I come home? I can't. I got kids here that I brought. I can't just leave them in Ecuador. That would not go well. So I, I toughed it out, but it was miserable for me because being homesick is no fun, but it does show us where our love lies, right? Isn't that how the phrase goes? Home is where the heart is. And you know, it was in his helplessness, in his humiliation, in this hunger, in this homesickness that he realized he was away from his father's house, but he was not away from his father's love. 
And there are some people that may be watching today online. You have been away from your father's house. And I don't mean this church building. I mean, you have been away from God's rules, God's way of doing things. But you are never away from your father's love. And you may have rolled up in here today, beating yourself up, feeling pretty bad about yourself. And you feel like the disconnect. You're disconnected from your your father's house. But you will never be disconnected from your father's love. I mean, I know some of you feel far from God, like he would never be able to love you. You had that relapse or you had that sin. There's just no forgiveness for what you've done. Listen, friends, nothing could be farther from the truth because we cannot outrun our father's love. The prodigal son was far away. He was in a distant country. He lost everything. He was starving to death, helpless, humiliated, hungry, and homesick. There he stood in a pig pen, a very forgettable location. But there he realized, it's time for me to go home. I've had enough. I've done things my way long enough. I have got to go home to my father. And listen, for some of you, it's time to come home. Remember the audience Jesus is speaking to? Tax collectors and sinners, those far from God? It's time for some of you to come home. But the other audience is those Pharisees, those religious people who were in church week after week after week after week. They knew the rules, they knew the laws, but they were far from God. It's time to come home. Because the Father is good. It's time to come home because Jesus is calling for us to come home. He's calling for us to come to our senses. He's calling for us to realize the goodness of the Father. He's calling for us to have our souls, our very lives, stripped away and restored. So, we don't watch the news uh, in, in our household because I don't believe in watching make-believe shows because um, it seems like all news is not, not accurate anymore and we don't get on fa- Facebook very much. I do my business and I, I stay off. And so the net result is we've been watching some Netflix and we've been watching like reruns of different shows. Uh, and uh, I've, one of the shows is Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, but then I eat too much. So we've been watching uh, house renovation shows, which makes me feel incredibly terrible about how nasty my house is. Um, but I love these renovation shows. And the one that Lindy and I have been watching uh, a lot through this whole thing is the show Hometown. Um, It's about a couple in Laurel, Mississippi. Just love that show. And one of the reasons I love that show is because the, the husband on there will take some piece of old furniture that is just basically sat in a corner and it's gotten water damage or it's just, we, they're just people are just going to throw it away. It's no good anymore. And he takes that thing to his shop and he puts chemicals and he starts stripping it down and he sands it down to the core, right? Just right down to the original wood. And then he just restores it to its beauty. So here's a picture, just a visual, right? Before and, and after. I, I absolutely love that because it reminds me of what God did for me and what God did for you or what he can do for you. You see, God will use your helplessness when you feel utterly alone, 
When you have, for some reason, systematically dismantled relationship after relationship after relationship, and there is just no one else to hear you, no one else to help you, no one else wants to hear anything about you because of that. When you feel that helplessness, that's God. God will use our humiliation when our way of life catches up to us, when we find ourselves in places we never imagined we'd ever be, with people we never imagined we'd be with, doing things that we never thought in a million years we would do, when we feel utterly ashamed. God will use our hunger, that hunger that says, listen, one more relationship and you'll finally be happy. One more night stand and you'll finally be satisfied. One more dollar made will finally be enough. One more rung on the ladder of success and then you'll be full. One more house with just a little more square footage, then you'll finally have joy. One last party, one last drug, one last addiction, then you'll be fulfilled. All the while... Our souls are starving. You see, it's that hunger, that humiliation, that helplessness that God is using to strip us down, to clean us off in order to restore us to our original beauty, in order to make us homesick for something more. And friends, I don't know where you are, if you're a sinner or a tax collector, or if you're a Pharisee or a scribe, but either way, you're far from God. And God wants to strip you down and restore you to your beauty. We've been wearing these bracelets, um, and each week I just kind of ask it to, to joggle your memory during the week uh, of something to, to pray about or think about. This week, as you look at your bracelets, my prayer is it causes you to be homesick. My prayer is that you can watch the news and not get upset. You can get on Facebook and not lose your temper. You can see just all the bickering and the fighting and the evil that's going on. And then you can be reminded, Luke 15, God's extravagant love. This is not my home. I have a father waiting on his balcony, waiting for me to pass, waiting for my arrival, waiting to throw his arms around me, waiting to throw a robe and clothe me, waiting to put a ring on my finger, waiting to take me to the feast, and waiting to ultimately restore me because this is not home. It's a sad commentary on my attitude, but my attitude is this. I pray that you're homesick this week. I pray that you're reminded that this is not the end. This is not home. This isn't how it ends. This isn't how you have to be. Be homesick. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.